0: RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world so please check their website for details. Eat, sleep, run are all aspects of the performance triangle. The question is, are the sides of your triangle equal? If you're not sure, join us to find out how to balance your performance triangle. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionist friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance, and especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Aileen to design a personalized sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runner's Health Lab.
1: to this beautiful sunshine today. It's uh, it's the the end of March and it's twenty one degrees outside, so it's really beautiful. So.
0: Yes, yeah, it is. It's sort of the first day that we've been promised good weather, isn't it? And um, you know, for everybody who's listening in in real time, uh, we <laughs> we we always uh, record a couple of weeks ahead, just so that we we know that we're definitely ready for you. So um, oh, yes. you'll be listening to this, I guess, in April, early April. Yes. Um, yeah so so brilliant um glad that the sun's shining across the UK today we all seem to have it which is lovely and um, as usual we we start off by sharing something personal about our nutrition or, or our running um so before we go on to talk about our topic today which is all about the performance triangle um we'll we'll do a little bit of a share so Karen you know we we're slowly coming out of lockdown and we're beginning to start thinking about what we can do um outside um in small groups and um i don't know about you but i've noticed that there's lots of racing um dates coming into the calendar and beginning to get the emails through and i just wondered with that in mind have you got any races booked in anything on the horizon
1: Yes, you're right, Aileen. They are sort of starting to come through um as emails and I have to say it's getting me quite excited. Um but I do already have two in the diary, but I have to say they are on the horizon because um they're not until towards the end of the year. I've um I've got the Oxford half actually I'm, I'm in the ballot for the uh, Oxford half which is in October so I might not actually be doing that one it just depends um, but I have put into the ballot for that and then um I'll be completing the Paris marathon which is in October as well and I should have been doing that last year but clearly that didn't happen so um so it's been rolled forward to to this year and also I really like the Oat Four mountain race which I think I've spoken about it before it takes place in Morzine in France each year um, usually in August but with that race I think it's still a bit uncertain yet due to the various um, quarantine restrictions in Europe so watch the space Uh, hopefully I'll be doing that one in August but I don't know yet but have you got anything in the diary? Um, Yeah just just one uh,
0: the Great North Run on the 12th of September Mm. Um, so that looks like it's planning to go ahead um you know the I think I got an email a couple of weeks ago about it so that's that's good news and I think all of the great run races are planned there's quite a few 10ks I've not signed up for any yet um which I usually do and the only reason I haven't signed up is I couldn't find my membership number to get onto the website and I sort of got distracted (laughs) so so, uh, but I do quite like doing um some of the local 10ks over the summer and there's a whole range of them um so yeah I need to get the diary sorted and get that planned and and I think it'll be good just to get used to running in a large group again you know even the the short races I think it just gives you that race well it makes you race ready doesn't it and it sort of gives you a little bit of excitement and just that feeling Mm. of preparing even if it's only for a 10k I think it's still all all good and um so, yeah, that's that's all exciting. And uh, your moorzine thing sounds great, but I guess, you know, you're not going to be able to do any mountain training before then,
1: so that might be a bit challenging. It is a bit challenging. I do make sure that hill drills are part of my training, regular training, actually. But but on saying that, you know, it's still not to the degree of, of running up a mountain. But um, mm-hmm. what I hope to do, uh, which is what I tend to do, is try and get out there a bit before. So at least I can get some training in and and kind of get my muscles adapted a little bit um, before I do the race. But but yes, you're right, Aileen, it, it, it is going to be limited.
0: Mm, yeah. yeah yeah i'm looking forward just to getting back to pilates classes as well because i think that really helps my leg strength i do reformer pilates and i'm and i've really missed that
1: um mm. uh, and then the other thing that's is that, uh, in the diary? is that what is that in the diary is the studio opening up again on the uh, 12th yeah, they are in a very um, low key, small group sort
0: of way. So, you know, in the past, there might have been 10 or 12 people on reformers, but it'll be half that number so that they're all spread out. And it's, um, you know, very well, very supervised. So, um, yeah. so yeah, that'll be good. Mm-hmm. And, and then the final thing that is on the horizon, which I love to do every week is the park run. And, and I believe that's starting it might be the 4th of June, so that's not too far away either. So uh, I just yeah. can't quite imagine it. I can't quite imagine being, you know, the park run I do, there's, there's several hundred do it. And I, having been on my own for
1: so long, I can't mm. imagine running with a whole host of other people. Um, but know, it is exciting, though, isn't it? Mm. In some sense of normality coming back, I don't know if park run will have some restrictions, um, to the amount of people that can run in a group initially or 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 not or if they'll just go back to the way they were they were running before i'm not sure well, we shall see. We shall see. But let's get on to discuss today's topic,
0: um, which I yes. said is all about the performance triangle. And we have talked about that in the past, so it'd be really good to go a bit deeper today. Um, so the triangle, if you, if anybody can remember us talking about it in the past, is is made up of three equal sides, and that consists of nutrition, sleep, um, which includes rest as well, and also training. So the three sides are. Um, Nutrition, Sleep and Training, hence our title today, which is Eat, Sleep, Run, uh, which I quite like. And um, and these these areas are all interconnected. So poor sleep will affect training and, and, and food choices. And a poor diet will influence the quality and quantity of sleep and, and our ability to train. Um, so they're all very interconnected and and that's an area where we very much focus on in our easy nutrition for healthy runner program and we we include that as part of the fundamentals for sports nutrition and um, i'll touch on that later on in in the episode when we do our our normal advert break um so I, i mentioned earlier that we did have um you know, a, a discussion about the performance triangle and, and some other episodes. And the one that's coming to mind is episode 13, which is called Sleep Essentials for Run, Running Performance. Um, but today we're going to look at all three aspects and how they're interlinked. And the three things that we're going to focus on is the interaction between training and sleep. Then we're going to determine how nutrition and, and our food choices fit into the scenario. And then we're going to um end the episode by highlighting some of the key changes that you should consider to bring the performance triangle back into balance because sometimes we find uh, it's not an equal triangle, shall we say, and that's what we're what's what we're aiming for. Um, so, Karen, um, some of the feedback that um, we've received from clients, from our fellow runners over the years, and I suppose from our own experience in the past is that we are very aware that training tends to be the aspect of the performance triangle that takes priority for most people. Um, you know, so we prioritize that more than the other two sides of the triangle. So with this in mind, could you tell us a bit more about how that would impact on sleep?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Alien. I completely agree. Training does tend to take priority. And then I think on a sliding scale, nutrition comes second. And then sleep, as well as rest, like you mentioned earlier, would come last. If it's considered at all, sometimes actually I, I when I speak to, to clients, sleep just doesn't seem to come into their equation. Um, And and I think traditionally, nutrition and exercise have been viewed really as the cornerstone of good health. Um, But... But sleep, I think, is also key. And I think potentially by ignoring really any one of these three sides of the triangle could lead to the other two suffering. So it's really important to sort of keep those three in balance. Um, But thinking about training, your question, Aileen, I think when we're thinking about training and how it could be impacting on sleep quality and quantity, we do need to consider sort of the timing of training and also the intensity of training, and and I think that really most studies looking at exercise and sleep tend to focus on the po- positive benefits of exercise in encouraging good sleep, which I think on the whole it does. I think that's really true, especially if it's um, light exercise or moderate exercise. But I feel that if exercise and training is being completed at the expense of sleep, that's when it could become detrimental to health and to our exercise performance. And I have to say, I can speak from experience here, because um, when, when we were studying way back in the day, Aileen, um, studying to become a nutritional therapist, I was also working. I was commuting from Madrid. I was training for a marathon. And I also had a young family. So you can imagine life was was really hectic. But I still had to train, you know, I was going to be doing this marathon. So I had to keep my training up. And, um, and I wouldn't let myself miss any sessions. And I distinctly remember thinking to myself when I was feeling a bit overwhelmed, I would sort of say, oh, well, If I can't get my studies completed during the day, I can always do it during the night. And I have to say that did actually happen on many occasions. I just couldn't get things done. So I would just stay up into the night to get the the um, the revision and the assignments completed. And, And I was able, I was supposed to 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 deal with that for a period of time. But eventually I, I really started to feel really groggy and my cognition deteriorated. Actually, my cognition was so bad to, that at one time I was driving down a one way street the wrong way. But I had absolutely no idea. Even a car was flashing me to tell me, but I thought they were on the wrong side of the road. I had my cognition had completely gone. And that was a real big wake up call for me. And and also, besides that, there was also my training I was beginning to suffer and I was getting terrible hip injuries um, or, or sort of more pain in my hip. And um, which eventually led to me having to take time out of running. And so, so, you know, that lack of sleep has such far reaching effects, I think. And, and I have to say, it took me several years to come back from that awful place. So now sleep for me is a huge priority. I need to get it and I ensure that I get the, the sort of seven to eight hours. But how about you, Alien? Have you ever prioritised your training over your sleep? And if so, what were the consequences for you?
0: Yeah, I mean I think a bit like you. I mean I you know in in more recent years you know when we were studying it was very similar and I can think back to times before that where you know sleep was something you just sort of slotted in rather than made a priority um but certainly around when I was studying I mean we you know we mirrored each other didn't we we were study buddies we helped each other uh there was always a deadline to meet there was always the next assignment the next set of exams um often um I'd be working into the small hours like you I mean I must admit I I didn't quite realize how it was for you and I think maybe I just thought it was your meditation. Mediterranean style of life you know because you were living in Spain at the time (laughs) you know I just thought well maybe you know they all stay up late there don't they so maybe that's why she does that um but you know I probably wasn't far behind you thinking about it you know often you know I was you know I I can remember crazily you know having to have a shower in the middle of the night to wake myself up so I could finish something on time you know really really crazy um Mm. but then I was still because I was still coming out of my corporate way of living at that point. You know, I swapped corporate life for being a student and I treated it in exactly the same way looking back. So I would work really, really hard and then I would be out first thing in the morning. I would still go to the gym really early, and um, even though I didn't have a paid job at that point, but I still treated my studies a bit like that. So it was mm. full on and, you know, it did take a long time to move away from that approach to life and you know not feel guilty about not doing everything that you think you should do um and sort of looking back at you know I did develop some injuries which may have been linked to lack of sleep and rest maybe wasn't aware of it I mean I think sometimes the impact is that you're not paying attention when you're exercising and running and that can be the thing that triggers an injury and maybe that lack of attention is because you've got you know, had poor quality sleep or you've not rested. So, you know, mm. you would do something silly and then think, oh, how did that happen? Um, but I've got I've, I've got a different attitude now, much different attitude. Um, I sort of set myself boundaries around when I work. I, I never work later than seven o'clock in the evening. And um, I do that knowing that I can have a restful evening and a good night's sleep. And you know, even when I haven't finished something, which actually happened to me yesterday. I had something that I really wanted to finish, but it wasn't the right time. I was beginning to feel tired. And I just thought, you know what, Aileen, you need to rest and you will be able to do that so much better tomorrow. Um, And that's my attitude, you know, unless it was life or death, I just think, no, I can do it better tomorrow when I've had a great sleep. And also, you know, I would say that Applies to my training as well. You know, if if I feel that I'm not up to it, it's better to wait and do something lighter instead, and then train better the next day. So it's all, it's a win win, I think, if you have that approach.
1: Um, yeah, I think it's a really healthy approach, actually, to um, to like you say, sort of everyday work life balance, but also your training.
0: Yeah. And it's not an easy thing to learn how to do. And I still struggle a little bit with it. And I think that's normal. So, you know, I think it's a human reaction, but you have to let that resistance go. Um, yeah. So so Karen, you, you were mentioned earlier that, you know, training, timing and intensity could impact on sleep. So would you expand on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and what I would say is, as always at the beginning, is that the, the research is conflicting. Um, you know, there's always two sides to, to research, isn't there? And some studies that I was reading about have found that um, exercise shortly before going to bed could produce a stress response and that could reduce the quality and potentially the quantity of subsequent sleep. But then you get other studies that then suggest that, The rise in body temperature that occurs with exercise, with evening exercise, could potentially enhance sleep. So it could be one of the one of the other. Um, So I think, like always, more studies need to be to be done to sort of determine what is actually going on after following evening um, training. But also, you get other studies that suggest that. effects of regular afternoon exercise on heart rate variability tends to enhance the parasympathetic control. So that's the rest and relaxation um, part of the the, um, nervous system. And this is thought to then help improve sleep as well as improving mood. And I suppose if mood is improved, that's going to potentially support um, sleep as well. So I think from from what i take away from from this is that for some people sort of evening exercise may support sleep but for others it it might actually be detrimental to sleep so it is really about each person observing for changes in sleep pattern, maybe linked to to when they're doing their exercise. Have they shifted their exercise routine, and is that impacting on their sleep? Because as always, and what we say, I Elena, mean, is that that everybody is individual.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, good advice. Observe what's going on with yourself. Um, if your sleep is a problem, then you know maybe there's some requirement for change but if if it's not a problem and it's working for you then then continue with it but I think from what you were saying there Karen um, I'm thinking that morning and exercise morning and afternoon exercise might not be detrimental to sleep but it's the evening exercise that seems to be the thing that could be detrimental to sleep for some. And that's probably because of the time of day and, and the way our hormones are changing um, later in the day. And, um, you know, as I said earlier, I think it's important for us all to, you know, be self-aware and observe what's going on with our own sleep pattern and adjust training accordingly and other activities accordingly to support good sleep. Yeah. Um, so, I was wondering if here it would be a good point to talk about overreaching and overtraining syndrome um, before we move on, because I know that these um, conditions are potentially harmful to health and performance, and and sleep is implicated in the development and severity of these of these conditions.
1: Yeah, actually, Ilene, I think that's a really good point to raise here. So, just to to um... Recap um for everybody' lots of people might have heard of it so overreaching um can be both positive and negative, so so functional overreaching. Is, um, is essentially short term overtraining. So it's when an athlete will intentionally push the training beyond their body's ability to recover, but then they'll back off, they'll pull back. And this is um, thought to be really good in supporting the training adaptations that we speak about. But it's when an athlete fails to pull back and allow adequate recovery between exercise bouts that can lead to what's known as non-functional overreaching. Now, this non-functional overreaching um, can be detrimental to performance. and, And again, if it's not addressed, can deteriorate into overtraining syndrome. Now, overtraining syndrome it can potentially lead to injury, illness, and a loss of performance as well. And it is thought that when someone is suffering um, non-functional overreaching or overtraining syndrome, poor sleep is actually one of the key symptoms a coach or a doctor will look out for. So, um, so I think that's really important. So, if you're if you are finding that you're doing a lot of training, you're not getting enough recovery, and your sleep is. Suffering, are you potentially moving towards this overtraining syndrome? And, um, and and as I mentioned, appropriate recovery is important in preventing these conditions. And, and sleep really is commonly seen as the single best recovery strategy um, available to any athlete, So just by increasing your sleep can really, really support um, that or limit the effects of um, overtraining syndrome. Well, it's really
0: interesting that it's something a coach or a doctor would look out for because that shows you the Mm -hmm. the, um, seriousness of the uh, know having that poor sleep um so yeah i think um that's really interesting just to get that recap karen thanks for that and if anybody would like to know more about the overtraining syndrome and how nutrition fits into its development and recovery then um, i'd recommend that you listen to episode six which is called the performance effects of overtraining syndrome so um, it's going back a bit but it's uh, an interesting listen um So we've discussed some of the ways in which training can affect sleep quality, um, but what about the other way round? How could poor sleep hygiene affect exercise performance?
1: Yes, well, as I said earlier, Aileen, we do discuss the effects of poor sleep on performance in episode 13. So I won't go into detail here. But what I would like to emphasise is that poor sleep can really have far reaching effects on performance, but also on um, general health and well-being. And, um, And I think the importance of sleep, is definitely underestimated, especially in the, with the world of sport. Although I have to say that more studies are start to, it, starting to investigate its impact and its importance in athletic performance. Um, and it's interestingly, in times mm-hmm. gone by in the sporting arena, the phrase you snooze, you lose was often used, really suggesting that sleep was time wasted away from training. But the tide is and um, and a phrase that I had more recently was you snooze more, you win. And I think that's a much more positive uh, spin on it. And, and a phrase that I certainly like, Aileen, I don't know about you.
0: Yeah, no, I, I t- certainly agree to that. And, uh, and you know, I'm thinking of the, the people, you know, the really serious athletes who you, you would imagine are out there training at five o'clock in the morning. Maybe they don't need to do that anymore. Maybe a little bit longer in bed would do them more good. Um, so, yeah, definitely there needs to be more of an emphasis put on the importance of sleep for exercise performance um, because – you know, we know that sleep deprivation is associated with lots of different health conditions and um, performance enhancing um, things that we've talked about in the past as well. So I'm thinking about um, sleep deprivation uh, impacting on things like impaired glu- uh, glycogen repletion. And as we all know, optimal glycogen stores are a pretty essential uh, fuel for a runner. Um and then also it could impact on decreased muscle muscle synthesis. Um, so um, again, you know, we're all aiming to have lean muscle for strength and power. Um, it might also affect on poor muscle recovery, which might lead to an increased risk of injury, which is what I was alluding to earlier when I was talking about myself. Um, and then that poor cognitive function. Um, so with regards to making you know, making decisions and having uh, a good reaction time, um, which, you know, is all um, part of everyday life, but also uh, can also be part of our uh, performance um, areas too.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that's some you know good points there to bring up. And 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 what's interesting is that these detrimental effects on performance of poor sleep are known to occur with as little as um, two to four hours less sleep per night. So you might be missing out not on a huge amount of sleep, but it's that accumulative um, deterioration so or reduction in sleep over a period of time that's then going to lead to the detrimental effects. Mm, yeah. So, and we've got to think about what is an
0: optimal amount of sleep. I'm sure we're going to touch on that <laughs> later on, Karen. Yeah. So let's just summarize before we move on. So we've determined the various aspects of the performance triangle. triangle are equally important. And if one aspect is neglected, it could cause the other two to suffer. So I, I just love that analogy of having an equal-sided triangle. And I think that helps me sort of really focus on it. So hopefully it does everybody else. Um, also thinking that concentrating on our training so putting the training ahead of sleep um, could lead to a deterioration in sleep quality and that could lead to development of injury and illness and the overtraining syndrome that Karen was describing earlier and and finally neglecting our sleep could lead to many outcomes which could really damage our running and exercise performance so um, all very serious and important things to consider. Um, So let's move on, Karen. Let's think about how nutrition fits into the the scenario and the triangle. Um, So what's coming into my head immediately is that poor sleep could lead to poor food choices. And uh, generally, it's the high carb and sugary foods that people crave. And I'm sure people will You know, you you can imagine, you know, you can go back to a time where maybe you've had a bad night's sleep and the next day your cravings are out of control. Um, And obviously, if that happens regularly over time, that could lead to weight gain, uh, which could affect performance.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really great but simple um, example, Aileen, of how the three parts of the triangle sort of interlink and interconnect. So that sort of um, poor sleep, poor food choices, poor performance, basically. So uh, it just kind of shows how they all kind of fit together. Um, But it, it could also be flipped around because, you know, as we know, if we make poor food choices, that can lead to poor sleep, which can then impair exercise performance. So it it really does show how just just um, one area being affected can lead to the other two being impacted as well. Yeah, it's a bit like um,
0: what comes first, the chicken or the egg, isn't it? (laughs) It's what comes first, sleep or training,
1: isn't it? It is it's a, that's so true it's a good good description of it so what what is what what's coming first what do we need to address first but but just to delve into sort of this a little deeper um so when we experience the the poor sleep patterns um, especially chronic poor sleep it is known to result in that circadian rhythm and hormonal dysregulation so thinking here of cortisol and melatonin and insulin and and as we know melatonin is really important in promoting sleep so we'd be you know we can begin to create this vicious cycle of poor sleep poor melatonin levels, therefore poor sleep. So it then becomes this vicious cycle that then is is really difficult to, to break. And then when thinking about cortisol levels, when they're disrupted, that's known to create a catabolic state. So we're breaking down the protein, therefore potentially breaking down muscle, which again is going to um, affect our performance. And also that increased cortisol level Um, results in the release of sort of pro-inflammatory molecules, these molecules being known as cytokines and it's thought that that these cytokines impede sort of muscle recovery and muscle repair after exercise so could lead to um, that increased risk of injury and therefore leading to time away from running. So just Lack of sleep can have a, a huge impact in many different ways. Yeah, and I just wanted to add something about insulin here, Karen, because
0: cortisol and insulin are, are closely linked, and um, especially as cortisol plays a part in controlling insulin levels. And as we all know, the food choices we make influence insulin levels, so poor sleep and poor choices together could affect insulin sensitivity and therefore that affects our ability to replenish the glycogen stores following exercise as well as affect the body's ability to to make muscle protein. And again, that's going to affect performance. Um, So again, it's like this cycle of things that are all feeding into um, the one area. Um, So going back to the, the food and the choices we make, um, let's explore some of the key um, choices known to influence sleep uh, and then obviously it will have a, a positive in, impact on performance if we, if we do them correctly. Um, so we do talk about this again in episode 13 um, but the, the two um, foods that are springing to mind for me are caffeine and alcohol. So caffeine you know, it's, it's common. It's a very common one that we'll all know. It's thought to delay the onset of sleep whilst reducing the total amount of sleep and sleep quality. Um, and as we all know, when we have poor sleep, we tend to reach out for that coffee the next day, don't we? Um, so, again, that's that vicious um, circle of caffeine consumption. Um, so is there anything that you would add to, to talk about caffeine, Karen?
1: Yeah, as you I think as you were saying, Aileen, we do tend to reach for the coffee because it, it keeps us alert when we're feeling tired. So um really if if you're then taking that late in the day, it can reduce that readiness to go to bed and to go to sleep. And um and this can mean for many people that they then delay their bedtime, they maybe work late into the evening or get lost on social media on their smartphones or some other device, which can then exacerbate the effect. So, so again, leading to this vicious cycle. And and there has been a, a lot of research in re, actually recently into the use of these smartphones and smart devices in the evening and how the, the blue light that they give out is thought to Disrupt the body's natural melatonin production. So, and as we we were speaking about, sort of that melatonin is really important for for inducing sleep. So, therefore, this blue light could um, could um, disrupt sleep. So I think that's definitely something for people to consider, and I think there is a lot of information out there on recommendations of of switching off your your computers and things like you do, Aileen, making sure that you finish work at seven o'clock, <laughs> and then sort of shut the lid and uh, and have a, a, a restful evening, and then start again the the following day. Um, but but just going back to to caffeine for a minute, Aileen, um, sort of. I think many people may be saying, "But caffeine does not affect me. I can have it late in the day and sleep well." Um, and I hear that a lot, actually, from from people, from clients, and and I do agree that you you do get the responders and the non responders um, to caffeine, but you know studies have shown that although some people perceive they're able to sleep well, the quality of the sleep is actually diminished and i think that's really interesting so we feel we're sleeping well but actually we're not and they've been they've determined this through measuring the the delta waves um, and people as they sleep. Now, these delta waves are only produced during sleep. And um, and so they're just measuring the the, the quantity of these um, and the activity of these delta waves during the night. So I, I think that's an interesting point. And it's something I bring up a lot with my clients when they're trying to say, but I'm fine with caffeine. <laughs>
0: yeah I think that is interesting Karen because I'm one of those people too that you know uh, i I believe that I could have a cup of coffee after dinner and it and it not affect my sleep but um you know I've, I've listened to the advice that you're just sharing there and you know often I'm, I'm saying to clients you know it's really best to limit your caffeine intake to before midday or at the very latest two o'clock in the afternoon um, and you um, I think that does work for me too, you know. So I just try to apply that. That's a sort of like coffee in the morning, um, not too much of it. Um, I'm I'm probably drinking a bit too much coffee at the moment just because we're in lockdown because it's the only thing I do to socialize with people and I'm meeting people for cups of coffee. So quite often I'll have two cups of coffee a day which is unusual for the way I used to be so um yeah that's uh, it's an interesting thought but I think it's one that everybody should take on board to limit the coffee to the earlier part of the day and see what difference it makes um mm. so, so moving on just thinking about alcohol briefly um I think again it has you know has a similar effect to caffeine, uh, it reduces the quality as well as the quantity of sleep, and it's thought to increase in sleep disturbance in the second half of the, the sleep cycle. And we go through many cycles of sleep in in one night. So we're not gonna go into that because we've we've talked about that in, in other episodes, and it's quite a complex um, subject. But before we we sort of move on, I just wanted to um Mention another couple of potentially negative influences of nutrition on sleep. Um, so, uh, most of us will know that eating uh, foods that are high in what we would call quick release carbohydrates and refined sugars will lead to a rapid rise in blood sugar levels, and the body reacts to this by releasing insulin. And the resulting drop in blood sugar leads to the release of hormones such as adrenaline and uh, cortisol. And these hormones are known to interfere with sleep patterns and lead to the insomnia that we mentioned earlier. Um, uh, And also eating a big meal late at night is known to affect sleep. Usually it's due to the effects of digestion. Um, So ideally having your evening meal no less than three hours before bedtime would be great because that would really support and allow the rest digesting repair cycle that's going to happen after a after your evening meal um, so those are, are two things to consider so uh, reducing the those quick release carbohydrates in the evening and eating dinner a bit earlier before bed
1: yeah and I think those are really good points but what I would just add here Aileen is that also going to bed hungry could have a similar effect so we don't want to go to bed too full but we don't want to go to bed um, too hungry either because hunger leads to that stress response so again will lead to that release of cortisol that you you were mentioning Aileen so it really is about balance and, and how much to eat and the food choices that we make in the evenings to sort of promote that that healthy and deep and adequate sleep.
0: yeah and, and I'd also uh, just to add to that Karen I totally agree with what you're saying and, and often people who whose blood sugar drops too low during the night that can be the thing that wakes them in the middle of the night. So for those people you know making sure that you've eaten correctly um, before you go to bed is going to be important to yeah definitely.
1: Okay, so alien. Sorry, I'm having a pause there. I was having a drink, so um, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm really. <laughs> Sorry, everybody, I just thought I'd have a drink. So um, I think we should move on now, and um and I, but I'm just going to do a recap first. So we've now determined that what we eat and drink, as well as the timing of what we eat and drink, could potentially influence the quantity and the quality of our sleep. And it does seem to appear to be the effects of these foods and beverages. Um, the the effects that they have on hormone balance that leads to the sleep disruption. And ultimately, that's going to lead to have a negative effect on our running performance. So so what I think we'll do now is um, sort of think about some key changes to consider to really bring the performance triangle back into balance. But before we do that, Aileen, shall we just take a quick advert break?
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. So let's uh, just have a minute just to talk about some of the things that Karen and I do outside of the podcast. Um, one of the main things we do is we run an online uh, recorded program which is called Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners, and um, that came about because um, you know, just like you, we're busy working women. We run for health, fitness, achievement, and fun. And um, over the years, you know, even as nutritional therapists, we've had our own personal running performance struggles. Um, um, but we've we've resolved our struggles. I mean, we share our struggles with you every week, and uh, a lot of them are in the past. But we're really conscious about how we manage um, our health and well-being to make sure that they stay in the past and um, we really found that having a foundational everyday healthy eating plan but fine-tuning it with sports nutritional principles has helped us maximize our running performance and minimize injury and that's um, what we focus on in our day-to-day lives and we've um, developed our program easy nutrition for healthy runners to focus on on those principles so that we can share them with with people like you. So the the program is a short and sweet video program. Um, It's a a collection of short videos that you can complete in uh, 30 minutes a day over a two-week period, or you can take as long as you you need to. Some people like to work through materials quickly and other people prefer to take um, a longer route and maybe go back and refresh along the way. Um, So if you've been listening today and think that, your performance triangle maybe isn't as even as it it should be um, and you'd like to know more about how you could apply everyday nutrition alongside sports specific nutrition then I'd really recommend this program it'd be a great place to to start and to give you information and easy action steps so um, part of what we do is the short video followed by um, an action step so the videos are about 15 minutes the action step won't take you very long to do and then you start practicing and building them up and um, that will give you um, an opportunity to fine-tune everything and get your health into a really great place. Um, so if, you, if you'd like to find out more about it, check out our website, which is runnershealthhub.com. Look at the top menu bar at the online program button, click there, and um, you'll find all about it. And if you've got any questions, an email us at hello at runnershealthhub.com and we'll be happy to answer them.
1: Great. Thanks very much, Aileen. So just before we start to discuss the changes you could make to help address any imbalance in in your performance triangle, I thought I might just outline a couple of female factors to consider. So, um, you know, it is thought, and I think I mentioned this in, in episode 13 as well, is that it's thought that women require 20 minutes more sleep than men. And this is because, allegedly, it's because women tend to multitask more than men and use and because of this use more of their actual brain than men do um, so and because of this, it means a greater need for sleep. So essentially, the more you use your brain during the day, the more it needs to rest whilst asleep. So bear that in mind, ladies. Um, and it is also thought that although women require more sleep, generally speaking, we are generalizing a bit here. They do not they do not necessarily get it principally due to um Lots of different reasons for disturbed sleep. So things like pregnancy, uh, menopausal symptoms. So I'm thinking here of the night sweats that um, many women complain of waking them during the night. Also worry and, um, and potentially their husband snoring as well, although I know there are a lot of women that snore too, so that works both ways. And um, But I can definitely relate to the, to the husband's snoring, I have to say. But also thinking about the, uh, the overtraining syndrome that we spoke about by it earlier, now that can occur in both men and women, but it is seen to be more prevalent in women, and um, it's also really closely linked to um, relative energy deficiency in sport and the female athlete triad, which are two conditions that are really prevalent in women. Again, um, the the red S or so the relative energy deficiency in sport has been. Has come in to be because they find that it does affect men as well, but still at the moment, certainly, it does appear to be more prevalent um, in women. And we do discuss these two um, disorders in um, in detail, actually, in episode thirteen. So the one about the overtraining sy- syndrome. So, um, so I'm not going to delve into it here, but maybe if if um, If overtraining syndrome is something that you think you may be on the verge of or or maybe moving into, then maybe going back and listening to that episode would be really helpful.
0: Thanks, Karen. It always makes me giggle when uh, we think about women needing more sleep. I really think it's probably men that get more sleep, even though it's women that need it. So I don't suppose anybody's ever done a study on that, but it always makes me chuckle when I hear that. Anyway, um, so now let's think about the changes that we could make to bring um, the equal sides to the performance triangle. Um, So we mentioned right at the beginning that, Just in one aspect of the triangle, it could have a knock-on effect on the other two. So um, let's think about the changes we could make to each side of the triangle individually. So I'll I'll start with sleep. Um, So Mm -hmm. some simple things that um, we could all try out and see if they work for us is to try to get to bed at least an hour earlier, Um, something I'm always aspiring to do. Um, So, yeah, it's a good reminder for me to to think, yeah, I'm going to get ready for bed a little bit earlier. Uh, aim to complete all your tasks, your household, your business tasks and everything by around 8 o'clock um, and then start to wind down. So power off all those electricals that Karen mentioned earlier. So the phone, the PC, the tablet, the TV, at least an hour before going to bed um, and get rid of all the distractions and, and the blue light Make sure your bedroom is ready for sleep, so that you know you can get into bed and you're not getting distracted by moving things, tidying the room, etc. You know, once you've done all of the, um, you know, powering everything off, try to do something relaxing. So maybe play some soothing music, have a bath, read a novel, chat with the family, but make sure it's about non-contentious topics only, because you know what we're trying to do is relax and get ready for sleep, not Get wound up and get the stress hormones going. So, so that, that those are some things that I think we could all do to get that sleep part of the triangle um,
1: in in proportion to the other areas. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the contentious topics, Aileen, it's quite easy to get into those, isn't it? It's when you start to speak with the family. So it's making that conscious effort and determination not to go there and and sort of keep it light hearted. Um, And and just thinking about, you know, you were saying in the beginning, try and get to bed at least one hour earlier. And I think that's, yeah, that's great sort of try if if you're a late Um, sort of half past 12 some people one o'clock and later sort of reducing it uh, or bringing it back by an hour and um, and and then sort of keeping sort of moving that clock so that eventually you're getting to bed by about 10 30 at night and and this really is because the ideal amount of sleep that we want to be looking for is between seven and nine hours of sleep per night so um, ideally eight hours, but if you're getting sort of seven hours, then that's a, that's a, a great place to start, and then build up to. Um, to the eight hours. But then again, if you're doing, um, if you've got a week of strenuous exercise, long runs, things like that, it may mean that you need to get as much as nine hours um, a night. So really thinking about your um, individual circumstances regarding that, but between that seven and nine hours. But something else that um, that I, I was um, reading about recently is um, this, it's called sleep banking. Um, and it's thought to be uh, another approach to um, supporting sleep, linked to performance actually and it's just sort of currently being being researched. Now the study that I was looking at um, was just a pilot study um, but it was suggesting that athletes could intentionally extend sleep on, on the night prior to a night that they know where they might be sleep deprived. So um, so so thinking about building up that sleep and um and so that the body is able to to deal with and adapt to the to the night that you're going to have a lack of sleep so in a way it's similar to 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 napping during the day if and when we need it you know if you if you've had a night where you've had poor sleep or not enough sleep then Maybe having a nap during the day is going to be restorative, and then you'll still be able to sleep sort of that seven to nine uh, nine hours the, the the following night. But but this study is sort of looking at at doing these the extending the sleep or banking the sleep consciously to so because you know that you're going to have a, de- a deprived night. Um the following night so I thought that was an interesting concept concept but clearly that does need to um to to be um sort of researched in, in a bit more detail
0: yeah um, yeah. I guess it's um I mean it is an interesting concept but I think you know you'd have to be really on it to make sure that you weren't then missing out on sleep you know because we're all a bit like we all like to um you know pay for things later don't we and it's not really necessarily the best way forward i don't think
1: no i would agree with that alien but i think um you know if you were to look at it from an athlete's point of view and maybe thinking about um race day when maybe the, the there's a lot of travel going on so that yeah. so if they can build yeah. up the night. So using it, like we said about nutrition, it's about using it strategically, isn't it? Mm. And on certain occasions, not using it as a regular way of maintaining Mm. sleep.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I suppose what I was thinking is, you know, a lot of people think that they can hammer it during the week. And then if they have a long lie in on a Saturday morning, that's going to make up for everything that they've not done earlier in the week. So I, I think what you're suggesting is a more, a proactive strategic way um so we'll, yes. we'll wait and see how the research yeah. pans out shall we
1: <laughs> yes we don't advocate five days of burning the candle at both ends and then sleeping all weekend that's not healthy <laughs> okay so let's think about changes we could make to nutrition to support the other two aspects of the of the performance triangle so you know we spoke about um coffee earlier alien and the effects that that can have on on sleep so maybe thinking about stopping coffee intake by midday and you were saying that even though you think you're a non-responder you still try and and sort of limit your coffee to sort of midday two o'clock and um, ideally m- m- midday we would we would recommend and maybe sort of Replacing that with um, decaffeinated coffee, roybush tea, green tea as well. Green tea has got a small amount of caffeine in it, but not to the extent that coffee or regular tea would have. And, um, and maybe thinking about introducing a sleep friendly snack before going to bed. So we were saying earlier about having high carb um, foods just before um, bedtime and how that can imbalance the the um, the blood glucose level. So maybe having something that's um, carbohydrate and protein combined, because we don't want to go to bed hungry, um, but we don't want to be spiking blood sugars either. So I'm thinking here maybe of something like cherries or kiwi fruit with um, Greek yogurt, because um, cherries and kiwi fruit, um, as well as the Greek yogurt, actually contain melatonin so um and or or you could maybe have something like um tart cherry um a juice or a protein shake uh, where you get melatonin and tryptophan which is the the sort of amino acid that is then sort of metabolized down into melatonin so um and again pumpkin seeds with with some kiwi fruit will give you that combination so really sort of supporting that melatonin release in the evenings to promote good sleep and um and yes like you mentioned earlier alien about um having a heavy meal late at late night maybe sort of thinking about trying to have your main meal no later than three hours before you go to bed just to really allow the body to sort of digest it sufficiently before before going to bed um alien would you add anything else to that yeah well some really good food
0: suggestions there, Karen. So um, I think the other foods that I I would suggest um, are uh, adding uh, magnesium-rich foods. So um, you'll get that in dark green leafy vegetables, nuts and seeds and and dark chocolate. And the reason for suggesting magnesium-rich foods is that magnesium is known to support muscle relaxation and induce sleep. So, um, you know, to have these foods as, as regular as any diet would be really helpful. Um, And also to think about increasing your your daily protein intake or or at least making sure it's optimal. You know, you might already be um, taking in plenty of protein. So check what you're eating. So in particular, I'm thinking things like uh, chicken, fish, eggs, turkey and legumes. So they're uh, really important for the tryptophan, which I think you you mentioned earlier, Karen, and that helps support melatonin production. So the pathway is tryptophan to find serotonin melatonin um so having the, these foods as part of your everyday food plan um will really help and that'll also support muscle strength and repair help to manage body composition and insulin sensitivity too um so that yeah th- focusing on magnesium protein would be something to think about um And finally, um, let's have a look at the training part of the triangle and think about some changes that could be made there. So um, I think probably the easiest change that would have the biggest influence um, would be for people to think about um, regularly scheduling a rest day or rest days in relationship to their training. Um, So that could be combined with reducing the intensity of training, Or maybe it's just about reassessing your training goals. And again, I think this is a difficult one to get your head around sometimes because a lot of people are really fixated on. I've got to do something every day. I've got to, you know, just keep repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, But it isn't always the best way forward. Um, So if you've got anything that you would sort of suggest as advice here, Karen,
1: yeah, well, again, Aileen, we're always reading articles, aren't we, and papers and things like that. And one that, uh, another one that I was reading recently was talking about um, exercise actually having the capacity to cause what's known as a phase shift in the circadian rhythm. So, so for example, um looking at exercise timing. So an hour of exercise in the evening. So in this article, we're speaking about exercise being completed between seven o'clock and 10 o'clock. Um, and, and that has shown to result in a 30 minute later phase shift to the time of melatonin release. And then they looked at it again regarding exercise in the morning or Early afternoon, so in the morning, sort of around seven o'clock, and then between one o'clock and four o'clock in the um, in the afternoon, and that um, induced an earlier phase shift um, in melatonin release. So, so it's it's sort of manipulating using exercise to manipulate when um, ex, uh, when melatonin is going to be released. Therefore, manipulating to a degree. Um, the timings of you going to sleep and and i find it really fascinating um and and like i say what it was suggesting really is that it could be you could really be manipulating that um uh, manipulating your training to support earlier or later sleep and you could be using that to work around your lifestyle your run training or the race commitments that um that that we could all have so it's it's a really new concept like I say much more research again needs needs to be done and to determine just how appropriate this would be but but it did make an an interesting read I have to say so uh, yeah watch the space let's
0: yeah it's interesting I think it's a really good tool to think about and I sometimes have clients that we test their Cortisol, And it's over a 24-hour period. And often the people that are having trouble sleeping have got high evening cortisol levels when they should be actually very low. So, so you know, getting them to shift back, I think is a really interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting way of of approaching it and it's something that's all within our control (laughs) it's just something that we've got to make a conscious effort to do so it'll be interesting to find out how long it takes for that to happen so we'll keep our eye on that too okay so we're we're coming to the end um, of the episode and um, we've looked at some real positive changes that we could make to each side of the performance triangle to get it back into balance um but i suppose for each of us it's a bit about deciding which side of the triangle requires addressing first so is it the foods you're eating that are affecting your sleep or is it the chronic insomnia or poor sleep habits that are leading to poor food choices or maybe you're training too much which is affecting your sleep and your food choices so i think um you know draw out your triangle angle and see where you are at the moment and uh, it would be interesting to ponder on those questions and establish where you are currently and and then make some decisions about what what you could try um, changing to see what difference it would make so karen that that brings us to our key takeaways can i get you to do those now
1: Yes, sure, Aileen. So um the key takeaways I would say are like you've just said, the performance triangle is made up of three eco sides and represent which represent the training, the nutrition, and the sleep, and rest does come within that sleep part of it. And although attention to the three sides of the triangle need to be equal. Most runners, and I think probably athletes in general, tend to place most of their focus on the training side of it. But ignoring any one part of that triangle could cause the other two to suffer. So really worth bearing that in mind. Um, I think you you snooze, you lose is an outdated approach to performance and you snooze more, you win is a, a much better motto to maybe think about following as you go forward. And remember that the food choices we make, as well as the beverages we drink, can have far reaching effects on sleep and performance, as well as our everyday health. And vice versa, sort of poor sleep can result in us making poor food choices, both of which will affect our exercise performance. And, you know, we said ignoring any one side of the triangle may cause the other two to suffer. But this could be supportive in reverse. So just by paying attention to one aspect of the triangle could help bring the whole performance triangle back into balance and I think finally what I would say is remember it will be different for everyone so reflect on which side of the triangle is most out of balance for you and address it and this will really help bring balance um, to your performance triangle therefore support your running and your performance. And that would be it. Thank you,
0: Karen. That's a very simple but powerful message to end on. I've already drawn my triangle out as we were chatting there. I'm going to reflect on that later. Um, So remember, everybody, don't let nutrition be the limiting. This brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And Once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all
1: purchases.